This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Shotgun, we want to fly like eagles here at the Salt Lake City International Airport. Welcome back to another Helium Boys podcast. This is not a car cast, if you will, because we are literally not on the road. We are sitting in what appears to be an abandoned Salt Lake City <laughs> Airport at roughly, what time is 2:30, it? 2.30, exactly 2.30. Exactly 2.30 in the morning. So I apologize if you hear some unappealing jazz music in the background <laughs> or some woman announced that the terminal is closed until 4 a.m. That is our environment right now. Shotgun, how are you doing? I'm doing well right now, Chris. You, you're t- speaking in a, in a muted tone over here. Like, uh, There's people, people trying to sleep over there? There are people over there trying to sleep, which is why I'm turned facing towards the wall so that uh, you know I'm not directing all my vocals at them to wake them up. But uh, I'm doing all right. Unfortunately, my flight has already been moved um, from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., and now I'm getting in like five hours later. So that's not good. Uh, a little disappointing there. Um, a little disappointing for USC fans, I think, after this game uh, to be have an opportunity to be 7-0 and not be able to find a way to get that win in Rice-Eccles Stadium when a lot of things going against them. But they needed one play and couldn't get that final play to, to get them over the hump. I always felt like it came down to one play, one little thing, and we're going to get into all of that in the time that we have here in this airport. And I just want to say, first off, this is probably going to be a very chaotic episode for the fact that you, your your flight was canceled. You got a new flight coming up. This is on a chicken box right now, and I mean that there is literally on top of a, a recording box. device is sitting on a chicken, chicken box. box That's yes, true. with a spicy chicken inside. I have ninety cookies. I'm smuggling. <laughs> to california i feel like pablo escobar maybe we'll get into that maybe not maybe we'll just leave it at that leave it at that but shotgun just right off the gate you know usc number seven drops a heartbreaker 43 42 to number 20 utah in rice eccles your first time in rice eccles so can you talk about what you thought of rice eccles in general in today's environment tonight's environment and just your kind of takeaways from tonight i'll be honest i thought that uh in corvallis at research stadium was more intimidating even though it was only half a stadium, the fans arrived way earlier. They were super loud before the game. Obviously, the obnoxious signs that they had, the student section down low, uh, were really into it all the whole time. Uh, so it took some time a little bit to warm up, it felt like, at Rice Eccles. And especially when USC jumps out to 14 nothing lead, could have potentially been 21 nothing um, as we get the the announcement that the terminal is closed uh, for anyone that wants to come visit us right now. It's closed, guys. Uh, but could be 21 nothing. A roughing the passer penalty gives uh, Utah new life, and they cash it in. So um, that changed the dynamic a little bit, made it 14-7. USC scores again. 
not much to cheer about for the fans in Rice Eccles in the first half until final five minutes or so of the half, and they were able to you know pull within a touchdown, and then they were getting the ball immediately after the half, and they built some momentum, and suddenly the stadium came alive. So for the first quarter and a half there just wasn't much life in the stadium so it wasn't an intimidation factor or anything usc was having no issues with snap counts or anything like that even though it got loud a couple times but the fourth quarter that place was bumping it was going crazy um and starts with the fourth quarter the the moment of loudness um with everyone holding up their phones for you know ty jordan and aaron Lowe, and they were well wearing the aaron Lowe and ty jordan hand-painted helmets for the game as well so that moment, I don't know that it necessarily played a factor in the game, but it definitely played a factor in the fans, you know, just getting that much more hyped going into a fourth quarter that was back and forth. You know, whoever had the ball last is what it felt like. And one less penalty, and maybe USC has a greater opportunity. You know, they get a, a holding call on the kickoff um, when they are getting the ball back with less than a minute and could have had the ball starting at the 50 to try to get in position to, to give Dennis Lynch an opportunity to, to kick a game when a field goal is dead. Multiple penalties, multiple, uh, multiple false starts. So they just, everything kind of fell apart there at the end for USC. And you wonder what happens if they have 20 more seconds or 30 more seconds. If they use those timeouts a little bit quicker. And Lincoln Riley was asked about that and said, you know, he was debating it and trying to figure out when to, to call them because ideally you get the stop and then it doesn't matter and you want to have as little time as possible, but obviously they did not get the stop. Fourth down, Cam Rising scores on, on the, at the goal line and then they go for two. Same thing they did in 2017 against USC that was at the Coliseum. USC got the stop that time. This time there was no stopping Cam Rising. A couple guys came close, had an opportunity, but he runs in the end zone. And then the place goes bananas. Um, and, you know, it was, it was loud as could be for the next minute of game time, which was like 42 minutes of uh, real time because of multiple reviews, an uh, interception that was called back for pass interference, and they had to figure out the cl- – a lot of things like that that made this a very herky-jerky second half in particular, which unfortunately for USC fans or Utah fans or just your general college football fan – just it, it made the game so choppy that it wasn't uh, an attractive football game to watch because you couldn't really get into the momentum of it just as if you're watching on TV because every other play had a flag or a review. Uh, so that was unfortunate because this should have been just one of like the most dramatic games of the season with the way it played out and the team scoring and you know who's going to get that one stop and it just never happened. But Rice Eccles was going crazy that final minute. And then they went crazy jumping on the field and, and rushing the field. Uh, so I think that's the second or third film uh, field storming I've been a part of uh, with USC um, being the, the loser of the game on a road. Um, and this is actually someone asked me this question was, when's the last time USC's won a top 25 game on the road? Now, obviously, they weren't doing any of that last year, but the last one was 2016 when they went up to Utah, went up to Washington and beat them up there with Sam Darnold and Dory Jackson having multiple interceptions, I believe it was. So it's been a long time. So you knew it was going to be a challenge going to Rice Eccles. You knew this before the season started. You knew it this week when USC was an underdog from from the the Vegas and the, the gambling sites, and got off to a great start and looked like okay they'll they'll be able to wipe that away. But ends up being a, a one point game and Utah takes the win. 
Shaka, I'm unfortunately going to have to cut this off this off right now because my flight is actually <laughs> leaving right now you went so long i'm just kidding thank you for that that a beautiful breakdown and i like what you said um kind of about actually i just forgot what you said i'll come back to it but this felt no no it was the, it was the back and forthness that's what you're saying and while this was sort of a shootout kind of game it never felt like a pure shootout which is back and forth back and forth because so many flags mm-hmm. so many reviews so many what is going on? We're just looking at each other. Like, what is going on on the field? So much of that. And I think one of my big takeaways is, was this was a big what-if game. Like, what if USC doesn't get that roughing the passer call in the first quarter and that pick goes through? What if Willie Brown, there's not a holding on that call? There's so many little things that happen that turn this game. This is why football is a game of inches and yards and not necessarily big plays, but it's the little things that happen, the little small things. And USC just didn't have enough little things or those little things did not go their way or they didn't make the right play or they made the mistake in in the long run. So those are the kind of things that sunk them in the end. But I think we also need to remember that this was a game probably, I think the majority of people, I don't know how you felt when the schedule was released, but this was the one where USC was probably penciled in for a loss Mm -hmm. moving forward in the season. But USC had built so much in-season cachet with how they were playing throughout 6-0 start, you know, going into Corvallis and winning that game, that people expected them to win that game, and that's where Lincoln Riley is taking the program right now. But we have to remember this game was circled for a loss when it first came out. USC, U- Utah was the favorite in this game, and Rice Eccles is a damn hard place to play. <laughs> They're 23-2, 24-2 now. Over the since 2018, since 2018, they are 6 0 coming off. They haven't lost when there's been fans there since 2018, right, I believe. Right. Yeah, so those two losses were in 2020, USC being one of those. Uh, so, and that's the biggest thing is the crowd the impacts the game. And for a quarter and a half, USC took them out of it. It was a perfect start for them. Yeah. They had the lead, they took the crowd right out, and the defense got some big stops. And you mentioned that it was back and forth. Looking at the drive chart here, the last 11 drives of the game, uh, I guess 12 if you count the final drive for USC uh, with the 39-second drive, eight of them were touchdowns. One of, one of the, the, the three that were not, one of them was USC, the final 24 seconds of the half. So you probably could eliminate that one too. So the last 10 full drives, eight of them were touchdowns. One of them was Utah about to score a touchdown, and Eric Gentry causes the fumble. And immediately after that, USC ends up punting. Those are the only two drives, those back-to-back, that the, one of the teams did not score a touchdown on. So, you know, taking away those two end-of-half ones. So that just tells you the sways and back-and-forth, and it just never felt like it had that true energy of a back-and-forth contest because it was so herky-jerky with just all the stoppages of play, which is just unfortunate for the fans, I think, mm-hmm. um, because you don't get to truly experience and appreciate this game back-and-forth and how both teams were just trying to come up for an an- with an answer um, and neither one of them really had it. Uh, Utah got a little bit more pressure in the second half, and you know, that caused that one punt that they got. And maybe you say that's the difference in this game because that was the only punt after you know the a couple minutes to go in or a couple minutes into the second quarter. So that's those are little things. And you know if if USC scores on that one, then you say, well, Eric Gentry's play was the the game changer because that was the one turnover in the game. So there's so many of those like one plays. I'll be honest, personally uh, and selfishly, 
I'm disappointed that Michael Jackson in the third's touchdown was not the game winner just because he ran right towards me and I had some great photos of it. So as selfishly, I wanted that one so to be the, the game winner so selfish. because I got the, you know, I got the game winner at, uh, at Corvallis, you know, with uh, Jordan Addison's touchdown. So I, I wanted to have the game winner once more. And unfortunately for USC fans, that did not happen. I actually was trying, I could have went and tried to get cam rising two point conversion, but I was like, all right, if USC makes this stop, they're flying off here. We're going to all the emotion was setting up to get some of those shots. And instead, uh, you know, it was more of the disappointing shots coming off the field for that one. So, you know, it was a, it was a very interesting game and in the way it played out as far as the back and forth of the second half, the quick start to USC, and then a little bit of you know a little lull in that second mm-hmm. second quarter or so, uh, and then finding things to putting things back together in the second half on the offensive side and, and rolling pretty well, and doing it without Jordan Addison late, and having some other guys step up. You know, Jordan Addison, maybe he's the one that catches that that Michael Jackson the third touchdown. I actually thought it was interesting. I pointed it out. I don't know if my tweet went through. My tweets were going through all weird times uh, mm-hmm. tonight. But uh, um, I pointed out that Michael Jackson was on the field as well as C.J. Williams. And I think Kyle Ford may have also been on the field at the same time. So the the wide receiver rotations became a little bit different um, because of one because of the injury, but also they're just mixing some different guys in there at different times. Uh, you saw John Jackson out there getting a couple snaps at, at some points. Um, so it was it was interesting to see the different rotations there. We saw a little bit more of Austin Jones than we did last week. Didn't have a ton of carries, but he he got in there. Relief Brown. It was mainly a uh, Travis Die, but they didn't really rely on Travis Die. And I think that's one of the things when they go back and watch this film, I think they'll they'll kind of kick themselves for it. because Travis Dye, I think, was averaging six and a half yards uh, per run. Uh, the team as, as a whole, USC, excuse me, USC ran for six and a half yards a carry. Travis Dye ran for six point nine yards per carry. And that's one of the things when you're on the road to try to calm down the crowd is you pound out one of those longer drives. You kind of take them out and you 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 kind of lull them into you know nothing's going our way type of thing, um, and, and maybe he got banged up a little bit. You know I don't I don't know the exact reason why they decided not to use him, but he only had eleven carries in this game, eleven carries for seventy six yards and a touchdown, and you know there were a couple where he only ran for a couple yards, but he was also picking up you know he picked up twenty yard or he picked up a, I think the touchdown run he had was seven or eight yards. So I think that's one of the things that when they go back, and I know that Caleb Williams was cooking. And that's, that's probably why they didn't do it. But when you're in a hostile environment, I believe you have to rely on the run game a little bit more than you even maybe necessarily want to just because it slows things down for the opposing crowd. Not that the referees weren't doing that enough themselves. Um, but I just think that's something that they could have relied on a little bit more and uh, that potentially could have helped them because I felt like the defense – this is also because of some of those penalties. The defense was on the field for a long time, it felt like. And maybe they, I'll have to look up and see what the time of possession was if there was a big discrepancy. And there wasn't. There wasn't a big discrepancy there. But just the time on the field in real time, it felt like the defense was on the field yeah. two-thirds of the game. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because of all the reviews and whatnot. Uh, and you know, you're at elevation, so there's a lot of factors that play into it. And Lincoln Riley kind of mentioned that, that you know they were on the field a, a good bit of time and – you know, maybe they were worn down a little bit at the end, especially you have Shane Lee, but he's banged up. He's got one hand, essentially. One hand trying to play. You have Eric Gentry. He goes out of the game um, with what looks like an ankle injury, foot injury. So he's in street clothes. 
Jordan Addison is in street clothes by the end of the game. Damani Jackson actually did not travel with the team. You know, he only played three snaps in the first quarter last week, so that tells me he probably got banged up in that game. Uh, was not available. So you lose a couple pieces along the way, and you know maybe the defense tires out a little bit. They weren't rotating a ton outside of the defensive line. You know, you didn't see Latrell McCutcheon in there for Jalen Smith much. You didn't see Jacoby Covington or Damani Jackson, if he would have been there, in for Sierra Wright much. You saw them a couple plays. but um, So I, I wonder if, you know, if you relied on – if USC relied on their running game a little bit more, if, uh, if, if they would have had a little bit more freshness towards the end type of thing. I don't know. I feel like USC fans, and I think me and maybe you as, as a media person who's covered – this team, a specific team, and you know Travis Dye being a guy who just kind of at a certain point takes over for mm-hmm. this offense, like he did at Corvallis or did la- the last couple of weeks. We were just waiting for it to be okay. Now it's going to go. Now Lincoln and them are going to rely on number twenty-six. And there were a couple carries, I believe, in the second half. I think in the fourth quarter where he was going, and then you're like, okay, this is where Travis Dye is going to take over this game, and then USC is going to be able to slow that clock down, keep it out of Cam Rising's. Uh, uh, hands and Utah's offense and keep it away from freaking Dalton Kincaid, who we'll, we'll, we'll get to in a second, but that, that just never happened. And it seemed like they were just kind of putting the game in Caleb's hands, which at that point, you know, was turning out fine because as you said, he was quote unquote cooking, had his best game of the season. And I believe second highest passing yardage he's had in his career. We had a 400 yard game last season, but just a uh, really good performance in it with, with, with Caleb and more of the, that black magic coming out. We were watching a clip uh, before we started this podcast where he gets out of that, uh, that, that sack and runs up the field. Just might be like that. That's a play that goes on your like little Heisman reel. If you're in New York, <laughs> that's one that goes there. So just an outstanding game from him. And it was a great performance after what we saw against Corvallis where he just mm-hmm. did not look anything like a Heisman caliber but tonight he was unfortunately they did not get the win you saw the emotion when he when he left the field you know we saw it at the podium where he was just kind of fighting back through tears and you know I hate losing was the message I got from him and he kind of promised that they were going to go undefeated throughout the rest of the season so I was wondering how the way he phrased that I you know, because multiple other guys said the one thing that's off the table now is an undefeated season. Or was he going true Tim Tebow and saying, we're going to go undefeated the rest of the way? I believe that's what... That I, mean, I got to re-listen to that one to see. But but back to Travis Dye, just to, to look at it real quick, he had two carries in the fourth quarter. And he had back-to-back carries, one almost four yards and a 14-yarder, and they throw to him a couple times in the, in the fourth quarter. But maybe you lean on a little bit more. And like I said, this is nitpicking because... The offense rolled to a touchdown every time except for the one punt, uh, you know, over two and a half quarters to end the game, except for that final drive when you don't have any time. So that's a really difficult one. But you, you wonder if you if they look back and, you know, kind of how Lincoln Riley said last week, ah, we're, we, we, you know, we should have played Austin Jones a little bit more. He mm-hmm. said this week, you know, they, you know, they were kicking themselves a little bit for not getting him more opportunities. Maybe you, you – Give those two elder backs that you have a little bit more run in this in this fourth quarter, especially when you don't have Jordan Addison, um, and you know just another play, another weapon that you didn't have there. And Austin Jones did; he had three carries on that same drive that I was mentioning with, with Travis Dye, and that was a ninety-yard drive that USC went on there uh, to to get that score, the twenty-yard touchdown on third and eight, and you throw it out to Michael Jackson, 
And, you know, he gets a great block from him. Taj Washington makes a guy miss and gets in the end zone. Not bad for your first catch of the, the season. Uh, similar to Josh Follow. Not bad for your first catch in three years. First catch and first touchdown. First catch in three years, though, and touchdown. Second catch in three years, touchdown for Josh Follow. So you know, it was great to see him with all the, the trials and tribulations he's been through, and it was cool to see some of the other players talk about it and uh, you know, just seeing some of the reactions. Like Travis Dye was asked about it, and you know, he talked about how Josh Follow works hard and works his butt off and everything. But seeing his reaction when Josh Follow scored that touchdown, I have a good f- photo of it, so much more pumped up than any touchdown that I've seen him score. Maybe the exception being at Corvallis when he tried to shush the crowd a little bit. Um, but, you know, he was just uh, amped up for that one. So it was great to see Josh Follow get in the end zone and see some of those other players step up. And that's what can happen on this offense. But can it happen on the defense? That's the big question. And the fact that they had two of their inside linebackers not in the game and the middle of the field just seemed like it was open all day for Cam Rising – Makes you wonder a little bit there, um, and you know, and Thule didn't have a big impact in this game. And when he doesn't have a big impact, what do you get out of the defensive line? That's a big question. And they had one tackle for loss tonight. They had no no sacks and one tackle for loss. And you know, even the roughing the passer penalties they got weren't like those were sacks that they got a penalty on. Yeah. They were rushing the quarterback and making throw away, and that's. That's also the veteran, a veteran quarterback in Cam Rising, knowing when the rush is there and getting rid of it or being able to break a tackle, those type things. But that's the big question with this defense. How good can they be without the explosive plays? And they didn't have them tonight. You know, they had one explosive play taken off the board with a Kalen Bullock interception that was wiped out by a roughing the passer call that Brock Heward said that uh, Tim, uh, Tom Brady would be embarrassed by, I think it was. Uh, so, you know, that one was. Okay. An interesting call. You want to you go into penalties right now? Sure. I'll let you start with the penalties. What was your take on, what was your interpretation of, you know, the the way the game was called overall? Look, Pac-12 refing is a meme at this point. And, you know, there's some truth in memes, and we, we see it all the time. And, and I know one of the common themes when we would talk, we would tweet about uh, the refing tonight was, I can't, I can't. I can't wait to leave this trash conference. I can't get. <laughs> there were a lot of those comments yeah, in my opinion. A lot of those comments. But I just want to point out there is bad refereeing in every conference. Yes. There is bad refereeing. Just because we, they're going to the, the Big Ten does not mean it's magically going to get better. There's still going to be bad refereeing. But it was just. The refs were a character in this game. That's a good they way were a, they're Put a, it. They're a character in this game, and they're. Everyone was pissed at the refs. Lincoln Riley was pissed at the refs. The Utah fans were pissed at the refs. No one loved the refs tonight. <laughs> Maybe not even their own parents. I don't know. <laughs> and even Lincoln Riley went as far as to say that the Pac-12 officiating was, or not the Pac-12 officiating, but the officiating was, did you say horrible tonight? I think it was bad. It was not good. It was not good, which, you know, that's a pretty strong thing to say as a head coach. Usually you don't really hear them go as Usually that that's going to hit the wallet a little bit. Usually that's going to hit the wallet a little bit. We'll see how that if that does hit the wallet a little bit. But usually that that was the equivalent of him saying, F these refs <laughs> in, in head coach podium speak. You know, so he was not happy. Utah fans were not happy. But, you know, I, we, I, we can go back and look at USC had, what, 12 penalties against them for 93 yards, something like mm-hmm. that. And, you know, we, we'll go back and watch the penalties, and we'll see which ones were okay. Bang bang play, I get it, but some of them were just like 
okay, like the two I tweeted about, obviously the big ones were the passing, roughing the passer. The first one, Stanley Tawafu. He just pushes Cam Rising in the back. I mean, is it, was it even his back? Was he turned? He, like, yeah, it wasn't his back. As, as he released the ball, he threw it. You know, so he he's turning. Full, he's he's yeah. turning. So saw the replay, and everyone made a, a big deal about this one. And that's one of those plays, like, as a fan. Let's just put it on you for a second. You're an Atlanta Falcons fan, right? And <laughs> if you get that, this probably shouldn't go knowing what <laughs> uh, your team just went through. Yeah. But let's say that exact call goes against Marcus Mariota. It's one of those things where you look at it like, is that a passing? I'll take it though. Yeah, I'll take it. If you're the home, you know, you're the team that the penalty goes towards. You're like, oh, all, right, all right, I guess I'll take we'll it. take that. That was the exact energy of that because if you're on the other side, you're flipping out over that. But if you're gonna take it, absolutely, you're like, you want to give us this? Okay, we'll give, we'll, we'll take it, we'll take it gladly. And that was just a, that was just one. It's a dodge bullet. For Utah, because that ended especially up. because it was an interception, yeah. it wasn't just a throwaway, it wasn't a ball no. incomplete. Kalen Bullock comes over, perfectly plays the ball. Should have been an interception. Should have been another one for him and his tally. Uh, the exact quote from Lincoln Riley was, "The officiating was really bad tonight, but we still should have won the game." And that, and he said he wasn't going to make excuses. They didn't lose because of the officiating. He said it was something that they had to overcome. Uh, it was just one more thing they had to overcome. Is the way he kind of phrased it. Uh, which was saying it was bad, uh, but that's you expect to not get a call on the road. You know that's that's just the way it is, especially in a raucous environment. That always is the case in college sports, college athletics, because if it's a raucous environment, the referees get swayed by it just mm-hmm. a little bit, subconsciously, whatever it is, it plays into it. So it, you're not expecting to get the call to go your way. What was bad in my opinion is just they're the way they're seeing things i mean yeah the rough in the pastor call like you look at it and you're like maybe i could see it's like a judgment call i think they err on the side of just but then the like there were how many times did they have to stop the game for targeting calls and then every time we're like oh no sorry that wasn't a targeting so and so is is disqualified for target nick figueroa gets thrown out of the game for targeting and roughing the passer Okay, well they can review the targeting and they go, okay, that wasn't it. I imagine when they went and looked in that in the the uh, in the TV screen that they have, which I thought was interesting. The head referee every time had to put on reading glasses to be able to watch the screen. You do realize I'm wearing glasses right now. I will not take this glasses uh, yeah. stance. Are, are you uh, are you a referee? So he could see. So you're <laughs> saying. He could only see with the glasses. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was interesting. You're saying glasses, put, ref. He put on glasses to be able to watch the replays, and they would take them off to go back on the field. So that's all I'm saying, Chris. But I assume when he goes in and looks and goes, "Okay, yeah, that's not targeting," and he's probably in his mind going, eh, "That's not that's not roughing the passer either." But all right, we already called it. We can't overturn it now. But it just like the things they were seeing weren't there. And then the Utah fans were furious because there was no holding being called. And it looked like there were – I mean, there's always holding on every holding play. On That's, every play. But there were some some that they thought were egregious ones on the USC offensive line. One particular, I think, was in the end zone, and Caleb Williams you know, gets rid of a ball. So that's a potential safety. Obviously, the matchup between Makai Blackman and uh, Devon uh, Vele was back and forth. A lot of both players – a lot of hands, a lot of hand fighting going on. Um, and, you know, Makai Blackman is going to be physical with bigger receivers. That's what you're taught to do as a cornerback. He got called for a couple of them. 
but didn't feel like those were going the same way when it was Clark Phillips and Jordan Addison going at it. So that's the things that the USC fans are going to be mad at, or at the same time the Utah fans are mad because they feel like Makai Blackman's holding on every play, and like there's no consistency at all. It's like one time we'll call it, but not the next time. Um, and so that's I think that's one of the biggest issues the Pac-12 has is that there's no consistency. There's a lot of penalties called, but it's kind of just – Okay. Whatever. Yeah, it's just random. It feels like. Whereas, like the SEC is known for, we're gonna let them play, you know, and they don't throw as many flags. They let the athletes decide the games, and sometimes that's to the it's detrimental because hey, there's blatant calls and they're not calling them. But that's just the way the that the conference is, and that's when you're in the Pac-12, you got to understand that you're gonna be in games where there's just gonna be hankies all over the place. Uh, and there are several memes being out there. This is what you get in the Pac-12. And you wonder, uh, you know, who warned Lincoln Riley when he came to the conference. Like, whew, better watch out for those Pac-12 refs. He's got a full experience of it now from this game and a couple of the others going back a couple games. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Is crazy and seeing everyone after the fact go back to some of my tweets. I'm sure your tweets as well. When we're talking about the officiating and maybe those passing roughing the passer calls, where stop crying about it, yada yada yada. <laughs> but if we flip the exact same situation, you know they would be tweeting the exact same. Well, there thing. are some of those because, like, especially the the Lincoln Riley quote. Uh, you know, there's plenty of Utah fans that have come out uh, on Twitter and you know quote tweeting a lot of things. And there are why why are you crying? They didn't call that holding in the end zone. So like it's the same thing. It's like same you're thing. complaining about the rest at the same point. And so why are you telling someone else not to complain? But it's that's the thing. It's the Pac-12 refs like these. The officiating is not very good, and because it's not consistent enough to for each side to be like, well, that's the way the game's called. Everyone is just always mad. It feels like in the Pac-12. Yeah. So, um, and and that's. That's how it's been for several years, and you know it's been a, an initiative to try to get cleaned up, but it has not necessarily been cleaned up. It's like a, it's like a couple that should have got divorced years ago. No one's happy. There's no <laughs> one's happy, but they just sit through it. That that's what it feels like. Now, one of our final talking points. I just want we, we you mentioned it a couple times, but danced around it. But the defense. This was not the best defensive performance we've ever seen by this USC defense of this the Alex Grinch defense and which is maybe a little bit surprising because they had put together some really good moments and games and halves over the last several weeks. But I feel like in the back of, at least in my mind, and I think a lot of USC fans' minds, was there was a game like this coming. There was a game where USC's defense 
was going to struggle and it was going to be sort of a shootout. And I think we got it tonight. As, as we talked about, this wasn't a true shootout with all the herky-jerkiness. But still, this was a, a, a night where the USC defense really struggled to stop anything that was going. You know, Dalton Kincaid, a million yards, one touchdown. Looked like the greatest tight end that's ever played the position of tight end in, in college football. Uh, I believe it was 15 catches, 217 or something like that, and a touchdown. Yep, and 15 for 217. Um, and it was back and forth between whether it was he had 16 or 15 catches, but the official stat sheet has 15 catches, 217 touchdown. His long was 30, and I think that was the pass over the middle uh, towards the end of the first half where he goes up over Shane Lee. But a lot of his damage was just 10, 12-yard passes, eight, six, eight-yard passes, and then turning upfield and picking up another five or six yards. Just murdered them. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley said – you know, we weren't terrible in coverage against him or uh, something of that effect. We could have been better in coverage, but the biggest thing was we didn't tackle is what he said. Um, I think they, they needed to change their coverages to, you know, focus more on him or, you know, maybe even, you know, sometimes you have a spy on a quarterback. You can also spy a, you know, one wide receiver and play zone with everyone else. Like that's the, like you wanted to go boxing one against him in basketball terms with how well he was having success. And because those are just quick, easy throws, USC's pass rush was never getting home. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that was one of the biggest things. They weren't able to really rush Cam Rising. And when they were, when they did get there and, you know, get in his face, he just threw the ball away or the throws were way overthrown stuff uh, on the outside when they were trying to take those longer shots. And that was when USC was having success. This is what we've seen out of this defense this whole season. The only thing that's different is they didn't have the takeaways. They didn't have the sacks. So, you know, this defense is built on having those explosive plays. It can be bend but don't break if you get the explosive plays that keep them out of the end zone at at the end of a drive. Either or. Because even if you watch the state, they were sacking them. Didn't have a turnover, but they were getting the ball. Yeah, but the explosive plays either way, you know, whether you're taking the ball away or you're just you're forcing that third and long situation, which then begets more pass rush, um, and they weren't able to do that. There were a lot of third and shorts. They were, you know, Utah ends up going for it three times on fourth down because they were fourth and one almost every time that they did that, and they converted all three of those. So those are opportunities to, in in essence, be a turnover, even though it's technically not in the takeaway category. And USC couldn't get off the field on those. So they, they were able to have success early in the game. But then Utah was able to, to make a couple adjustments and then was able to get whatever they wanted basically the rest of the game. And that's 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 the thing that we've seen from this defense at times. But they've still had those explosive plays to save them. And that's what this defense is really built on. So really it's, you know, it's, it's like a team that is runs the triple option. Well, as long as the, you're getting these runs, you're fine. The, the offense is going to run the whole time. If you shut down the run, you take that one thing away from them. Now what are they going to do? Okay, Paul Johnson's Georgia Tech teams aren't very good unless they're throwing the ball up to Calvin Johnson. That still still seemed to work for them. But So I, th- I think that's what happened with this defense is Utah was able to eliminate the one thing that makes this defense a standout defense. Once, they, once you take away the explosive plays, they're either pedestrian or bad. And that's what they were tonight, uh, you know, giving up uh, almost 600 yards, 500-something mm-hmm. yards. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was Cam Rising. He threw for 415 yards, two touchdowns, and then ran for another 60 and three touchdowns. And don't forget, he also had a catch for nine yards as well. So Cam Rising doing it in all three facets for, for the Utes. You know, he was the difference maker for them. 
Um, and I don't think USC's defense made it tough enough for him because I don't think he was doing anything special. You know, he wasn't making any elite throws that I necessarily saw, but it was those quick, easy ones over the middle. Those are so easy for quarterbacks. And, you know, Gerard mentioned it on, on some of his, his Twitter posts about, you know, maybe you, you try to do some shell games with blitzes and stuff. And USC was doing some different things, dropping Nick Figueroa and, and you know, doing some stuff like that. Uh, but they just couldn't come up with that answer to for Dalton Kincaid over the middle and he was just so much of their offense that, you know, it was that. And then Devon Vele trying to just be bigger than Makai Blackman. That was the two facets of their offense. Because USC, you know, they ran, Utah ran for 142 yards, but it, it was 32 carries. So they ran for four yards a carry. I mean, that's a, a solid, you know, defensive, uh, you know, statistic there for them. And they just weren't able to, to do enough against the passing game, which is disappointing for USC because you would think that they have better defensive backs than the skill players for Utah uh, as far as just the athleticism and potential talent there. But they weren't able to get off the field. And I think a big part of it was the linebacker play. Uh, you know, I just think not having Gentry out there towards the end, you know, that hurt them because of his arms being able to get in the passing lanes, potentially get a tip. And that never happened. The defense line never got any tip balls. That's Those are the things that – you know, they can create those explosive plays. And there were a couple drops early that really hurt the Utah offense. And that was part of the reason why they, you know, struggled early in the game. But USC didn't get the tips and overthrows when they had a chance. And so they didn't get those explosive plays. And when you don't get these explosive plays, this defense is, is like I said, pedestrian or bad. And tonight they were not very good. Not very good. Not very good. I don't know where I was going with that. But not very good, pedestrian. I think the final thing I think we need to kind of mention or talk about before we kind of wrap this up is the use or the lack of usage of timeouts on that final offensive drive for Utah and Lincoln Riley did talk about it you know he talked about how they were kind of right on the edge of deciding whether to you know go ahead and burn one to kind of slow the clock down and in the end he just kind of went with his gut that's what his gut told him to do to save it not use it and he felt like they did have enough time and in a in a weird way he was right because really brown puts them in a really great position at essentially midfield with plenty of time but he did not factor in the penalty that brought him back and in the end it says oh usc really wishes they had that time back so where do you kind of fall on that uh on the usage of the timeout because i mean it looked like he really wanted to save those two for whatever whatever reason. I mean, I mean, the thing is, when when Utah gets the ball to the one yard line on third and one, or they run for seven yards on second and eight. I think you got to go timeout there. You kind of if it's one yard away, you assume all right, they're going to score a touchdown, save ourselves some time so we can drive and get the potential game winner. So if you burn a timeout there, then they run the ball on third and one and don't get anything to a CV tomorrow with the big hit. You burn your second time out there. USC still would have had a timeout left to drive the ball. And I don't know how much more time they would have had because, it, you know, they scored with 48 seconds left. Um, but that would have given them an opportunity, you know, at least 20 more seconds, probably 30, 40. And that's completely different. Even after the penalty and you get backed up, it's so different of – you know, USC ended up starting their drive at their 30, uh, um, at their 20 yard line with 39 seconds left and then 
stuff went haywire as far as the the different plays and the interception on the pass interference, all those type of things. But if if you have a minute twenty, you know, if you have you know forty more seconds on there from using your timeouts earlier, it just gives you that many more options because you saw what USC, what Utah did at the end of the half, how quickly they were able to move the ball there, and they burned a timeout late to make sure that they had a couple time, a little bit more time. So I, I think that was the biggest one. You could have potentially, hey, they got they got inside the you know it's first and goal at the eight. And, you know, unfortunately, they don't have timestamps on Utah's official, uh, you know, st- statistics like USC does. USC, there's one positive for the sports information uh, that I really like that they do. But I would guess it was around 150 to two minutes uh, somewhere in there when they got first and goal. I'll have to check when I rewatch the game. But that might be the time to say, OK, let's take a timeout and trust that you, one of the things that Lincoln Riley said that he factored in is, Okay, if you stop them, you don't have to do anything. You know, you don't have to get a first down. You don't have to worry about punting out of your own end zone. All those type things. Where, how has your offense been rolling in this game? They're fucking crushing it. So why yeah. not say, all right, let's call timeouts in case they score and give our offense that opportunity. And hey, if we get a stop, even better. We'll trust our offense can pick up a first down much more than we trust that our defense will get this stop and then we'll be able to roll with limited time. So I would have looked at it that way And once they got to, you know, because they had, a, I think it was an 11-yard pass on third and five, once again, to Dalton Kincaid, gets him down to the eight-yard line. You know, I don't know how quickly Utah got to the line on that one, but after the first play, it was a, a, a rush for no gain. So it's second and goal at the eight. I would have called a timeout after that run. You know, and then you know, used all my timeouts if need be right there, or used at least two. And depending on how things kind of play out, uh, you know, save one timeout for the offensive drive. But if you use two timeouts there, you're gonna you're gonna have at least a minute and probably a minute fifteen or so went uh, to to potentially drive for the game winning. And gotta remember, you don't even have to drive the entire distance. You know, even when they score and they go for two, and maybe you're surprised by them going for two. I was not surprised at all. Uh, just because Kyle Whittingham has had that, uh, you know, has done that before against USC. It's just because I'm so conservative. I'd be like, no, <laughs> no. But maybe Lincoln Riley was surprised by that. But even if you're down by one, you still you kick a field goal and you win. So trust that your offense can get you. You know, even if you you don't feel comfortable with the kick return, call the fair catch and say, hey, can you pick up? 45 yards, 55 yards, 50 yards, and suddenly you're in field goal range and trust Dennis Lynch to, to make a game winner. And I know you would trust Dennis Lynch to make a game winner because I think you would trust Dennis Lynch to do just about anything. With my life. Okay. I would have with my life. And, and he was warming up. and you know He's got the range, so it was going to be interesting to see what they would have had confidence in him. I think if they had to, they would have let him do it from 60. If, like, we only have – it, it was at altitude, too, so ball would travel a little bit. It was in his – but, again, it's a first-year starting kicker. Never has lined up for a game winner <laughs> in college. So a lot of things working against him, but some things working for him, too. So, But never got that opportunity never because that opportunity. they didn't have the time. So, but yeah. again, I the Relique w- Brown return, the interception cost them time, too. Yeah, definitely. So just a lot of these little things that just – did not go their way. Yeah, there was there were two interceptions eliminated by penalties in this game. Uh, both of them 
did not factor well for USC besides the fact that USC got the ball back on the, the pass interference. But the time that runs off on that – and, you know, I, I don't know if the Utah player was necessarily thinking that when he got the interception, but he took off and ran all the way across the field. Um, and, you know, it looked like he might have had a chance to, to turn the corner and get up there before I think it was Josh Follow got the tackle on it. But, you know, that time runs off. The the interception in the first half where you, Kalen Bullock could have potentially, you know, it was 14 nothing at the time, interception, would have ended that drive. Instead, they score like two plays later, make it 14-7. USC goes up, drives, and scores the next time. Would have been 21-0, and their offense hasn't done anything, and you could potentially take the entire crowd out of it and maybe even take their – take the – you know, basically steal their heart. You know, early in the game, coming off a loss at UCLA, if you get down 21 nothing at home, you know, there's a good chance that there's just that defeatist mentality that, that kind of creeps in on teams – and if USC gets, somehow finds a way to get a stop the next drive, the game's over. It's like just completely over before it even starts. And those are the things that Lincoln Riley said, hey, we were an inch away here, an inch away there, but we were also this close to being able to just put the game away. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen from this team that they haven't been able to do yet. Outside of Rice, they really haven't found that game where like, they, they score a couple and, hey, they're up by 14. And suddenly you look, turn around and you're like, wait a second, they're up by 30, 31. They're up by 35 now. How did that happen? You know, just with the quick strike ability or whatever it may be. So maybe that's the next maturation point in this, in this team is to be able to find that the killer instinct to be able to put a team away when you have that lead, you know, have that early advantage to just like, you know, step on the throat. And that's what, you know, we saw it at Stanford and that's something that Travis Dye and some of the other guys said, Hey, we got to, you know, we got to step on the throat. We got to keep our foot there. And they haven't necessarily found that yet. So it'll be interesting to see how this team bounces back from it, from the emotion after the game. You would think they'll they'll bounce back fine, but sometimes emotion can be emotion can be a dangerous thing. You know, emotion can be can take you to new heights or sink you really quickly because you know you you start to think about things more and it you know it sits on you, weighs on you even more. And so that'll be interesting. It, it, the bye week comes at an interesting time after this loss. One, it's going to be it's a positive for USC to get healthy at a couple spots. And hopefully for, for their sake, you know, and for the player's sake, Eric Gentry and Jordan Addison are minor injuries and not anything serious. I'm concerned about Jordan Addison just by the way of peop- the way people were talking about it. Afterwards, it just seemed like there was a, 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 a tint or a, a tinge of, uh, you know, of, of major concern there, the way people say anything. But we'll see. We'll see when he comes back. He was able to walk off after or walk down to the other end to the, the, the medical tent. So we'll see. I think Gentry will end up being fine. I mean, the fact – I don't think they'll be able to keep him off the field yeah. if, if his foot is still on there, uh, you know, if there's nothing broken or anything in there. The way he would – sprint it out of the – sprint it out one foot. One foot – Hopped out. But it was a sprint. What's a sprint hop? I don't know what a sprint hop is, um, you know, what the correct terminology is there. But that's what he did. Out of the medical tent to get into the huddle, just showing the emotion. And then, you know, he got carted off after that. And went back to the back, got a, a boot, and then every time out on that final Utah drive, he was there in the middle of the huddle, uh, you know, trying to give as much encouragement and you know everything. And you asked Nick Figueroa about it, you know, what it meant to see him in the middle of the huddle, and you know, I, I think that shows you the big thing we were worried or not worried, but uh, wondered about this team is okay, got a lot of talent on the team, a lot more talent than they had last year, but 
how's that group going to come together? You got kids from the East Coast, you got Texas kids, you got these Cali kids. Are they going to get along? Are they going to they going to be pushing in the right in the same direction, or is there going to be clicks? Is going I mean, I don't see. It doesn't seem like there's any clicks. It doesn't seem like everyone seems to be on the same page and wanting to fight for each other. Uh, you know, even the guys that aren't playing. You know, some of the some of the guys that weren't playing were the most emotionally distraught. It, not necessarily at the end of the game, but like it when there was a a penalty called that they did not believe in just going crazy on the sidelines. Like, what did that do? Like, you know, couldn't believe it. Um, so it's, it's been interesting to see through these first seven games, which is pretty much a halfway point for USC because they were, you know, they're going to get 13 games. Will they get a 14th or the Pac-12 championship, you know, or anything else that's still to be determined. But so, you know, a little bit past the halfway point at minimum for uh, the regular season, where they go from here with this bye. And it's been interesting through this seven games to see what this team is so far and what it still could become. You know, there are a lot of things that still can be cleaned up, that still can be enhanced, um, you know, and can they do that? That'll be the big question and how much attrition uh, affects them. Because, like I said, the two linebackers being out, that was a big thing tonight. Um, and you know, I just don't think that they were able to do as much in the middle of the field as they want to do defensively. And maybe that played into some of the coverages and stuff. You know, when you have backups in there and they're calling the, you know, calling the plays at your middle linebacker positions, your inside linebacker positions, how much, uh, you know, are, does the playbook have to shrink? So you wonder about that as well. So th- there's a lot of different things that, that may have been affected by the fact that Eric Gentry and Shane Lee were both banged up in this game. So, you know, I, I think that's a key spot for them to get healthy going forward. Obviously, you want Jordan Addison back if you're USC just because such a playmaker. I mean, he finishes the night with, uh, I think it was, he, he had another 100-yard game. He finished with seven catches for 106 yards and a touchdown. Mario Williams, four catches for 145 yards. What a catch by Mario Williams. You know, he he's he's an outfielder in baseball. Yeah. And that was a Willie Mays-esque catch, you know, over the shoulder, down the sideline, tiptoeing. There were some nice catches made tonight uh, on both sides. Uh, I thought Taj Washington's uh, sideline catch was really nice uh, as well. So Follow snag. Follow snag over the, you know, just reaching out. It wasn't the best throw that time. It was just getting rid of it quick and, you know, made the play there. And congratulations to him again for, for two touchdowns, two tutties on the night. Uh, and Michael Jackson getting his, his first one of the season. So, you know, there were some, some nice plays made out there on both sides, but Utah comes up one point better. One point better. That is the difference here in Salt Lake City. The next time you hear from us, we won't be together. You'll be back on the East Coast. I'll be on the West Coast. But we will be reunited once again, Shotgun. We're like two, uh, what, uh, what, is it, what is it, like two, not strangers in the night passing in a... <laughs> two ships passing in the night? Whatever. I, I butchered that. Because we're, <laughs> we're not, we're, there's no ships anywhere. There, there's plane ships. Yeah, we could be two planes passing in the night. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay. That, that works. We'll go that with works. It. That works. So, as you said, going the bye week, they go on the road to Arizona, and then they have... But they will be favored in every game. Moving forward, I mean, we'll see what UCLA does with the rest of their schedule. They got a big one against Oregon coming up. But USC will be favored in the remaining games. Really good opportunity to run the table. Maybe be a one-loss team. Still very much in the top for that Pac-12 championship berth based on, you know, record, not not necessarily divisions anymore. So 
USC is still in a good spot. It is a tough loss. I know USC fans are very disappointed because they absolutely could have, should have left Rice Eccles with a win. But here we are, 6-1. and one. Get an opportunity to change some things, look at some things, get healed up during this bye week. So it comes at a really good time. Shock, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Big picture. You got to look at the big picture real quick. Um, you, you mentioned that they'll be favoring every game. I don't, we'll see about UCLA, uh, you know, whether they'll be favoring that one or not, because that'll be at the Rose Bowl. Obviously, it's not as big of a home field That's advantage. A neutral side. Basically. Um, but Vegas usually still gives the three points to, to the home enough. team Fair in enough. that regard. So we'll see how that one is, but USC should have no issue with anybody else on their schedule. Like you look at it and you look at the teams that are remaining. Arizona is it's doing better. They're interesting. They're doing better. They could give USC a challenge, but it shouldn't be. USC should dominate that game. Colorado, you know, got their first win. Congrats to them. Yeah, Montana Lamonius Craig from Inglewood. Shout out our boy, our boy. Uh, Tana. Premium. Great catch. Absolutely phenomenal catch for the game winner in that one against Cal. We thought Cal might be a decent team, maybe challenge. No. If USC doesn't mop the floor with them, that's a disappointment for USC fans. If they don't mop the floor with um, with Colorado, they probably should just quit the rest of the season. Um, and then Notre Dame, I thought Notre Dame was playing a little bit better. Their offense had been playing better. They lose to Stanford, who can't couldn't get out of their own way for anything. Oh. At home, Stanford hadn't won against a FBS, FBS opponent. I yeah. think it was in the last eleven tries. Like, wow, that's shocking. They're but um, famously, yeah, famously, famously. Our Uber driver told us that um, <laughs> from previous podcasts. But so USC should be able to roll through those others, and you hope that they have. Those are opportunities for them to show that killer instinct. And if they do show that killer instinct, that tells me. They're taking steps forward um, and progressing as the season goes along. And that's what you – the real championship caliber teams – and I'm not saying college football playoff championship caliber necessarily, but the teams that are you know, the legit really good teams are the ones that continue to get better as the season goes along. Like Georgia was really, really fucking talented last year. But they got better as the season got, went along. And, like, that's what you need. Like, you need your – your five-star freshman to start, okay, now we can start introducing these guys and getting them different. You need those sophomores that are, you know, getting a little bit of playing time. Suddenly they become impact players. Like those type of things, those are the, what the really good teams do. So we'll see if USC can do that. And one of those steps can be, you know, showing the killer instinct that they have uh, potentially against the Arizona, Cal, Colorado. And then UCLA could be an int- really intriguing game because – and it will be could be big could be majorly uh, dependent on next week and what the college game day is going to be up in Eugene for UCLA at Oregon. But if UCLA wins that game and Oregon loses another game, um, then you're looking at the potential of USC, Utah, and U and UCLA. If USC can beat UCLA, all finishing with one loss, and now you're looking at tiebreakers, you're looking at everything else. So it could be really, really interesting down the stretch. And that game, USC UCLA, you know, USC after they you know mop up the floor with three straight teams, and they're nine and what nine and one going into that game. And if UCLA can win against Oregon, they're still undefeated going into that game. That's a top ten matchup. Yeah. 
that's a potential college game day type of atmosphere. Um, and so that game becomes, that's the biggest game in that rivalry in ages, it feels like, yeah. since like, you know, since Pete Carroll was here at least, you know, the 13 9 game was probably the last time that, and I don't even know that that would have the same cachet going into the game as, you know, it had much more impact because of the result of it. But so could be an absolutely thrilling atmosphere at the Rose Bowl. And finally, UCLA fans would come out for that, and USC fans would be, they could take off the tarps, fill up the place. That'd be awesome. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But USC can definitely take care of business for those three games leading up to that. And then that could be a really fun matchup that will be on the national landscape. USC, first off, though, got to get healthy. And then you got to take care of business against those lesser teams. But that's the big picture that this could end up coming down to a three-way tie, one loss, and then we're going to start breaking down tiebreakers and everything else. Uh, instead of enjoying our turkey on Thanksgiving weekend, we'll be looking at tiebreakers while the rest of the Pac-12 finishes up and USC you know, takes care of Notre Dame potentially. Exciting stuff despite <laughs> a tough loss in Utah. Exciting despite what the uh, little jazz music in the background says, Shotgun. <laughs> I think we're going to end it there. I'm Chris Trevino. That is Shotgun Spratling. Can I get some Steve Miller band to play us out on this another episode of the Helium Boys podcast? you imaginary friends are real this is just so exciting now get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined showtime ryan reynolds john krasinski kaylee fleming fiona shaw phoebe waller bridge louis gossett jr matt damon emily blunt george clooney maya rudolph bradley cooper sebastian maniscalco john stewart sam rockwell aquafina keegan michael key and steve carell i need to throw up or i need a snack it's one of the two gross if with pg parental guidance suggested written and directed by john krasinski